This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, welcome to the Greg Scheinman Podcast. Today I am here with Dr. Garth Davis, weight loss specialist head of weight management and surgery at Memorial Hermann Memorial City Hospital, and also the author of Protein Aholic. Garth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Greg. Cool. We're going to get this rolling again right here. First thing I am going to ask you is the fast. You are on a fast right now. I know this because I offered you coffee, water, anything, and you told me you are in the middle of a five-day fast. Tell me why, okay? Why? Tell yeah. me how, what's, what's the point behind this? What's the point behind it? Look, I mean, there's the short answer, and I can give you the scientific answer behind what I'm trying to study and, and things like that, but there's kind of a longer answer. Um, and it kind of goes back to how I got into, uh, you know, some of the things I write about and talk about now in, in social media and in, in books and things like that, and that is this idea of, you know, constantly trying to improve yourself because, you know, for years and years and years, you know, I just kind of did what I was supposed to do. You know, you wake up, you go to school, you get through high school, you get through college, you study, you go to medical school because that's always where I was going to go, um, go to residency, become a doctor. And I even went into weight loss surgery mainly because I was a surgeon and it wasn't so much an interest in, in weight loss. It was that was what, you know, I could do really well. And, and so you just kind of flow with it. And I never really thought about myself much or health or any of that stuff. In fact, you know, in, in Western medicine, you know, the way you look at it is someone's got a disease, you got to fix it. So I was a fixer-upper, just like a, a plumber or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I was getting overweight and I wasn't feeling good and I was feeling sick. And, uh, you know, I'm overweight telling people, you know, how to lose weight, which is a little bit hypocritical. And, uh, but I always felt like I was less weight than them, so it's probably okay. And, and you know, then... I'm about 35 years old. I get married. We're going to have our first kid. And um, I decide to get a life insurance policy. And I go get the test, and I'm very shocked when they come back with the results. And I can't get the you know highest-tier policy uh, because I've got high cholesterol, hypertension, fatty liver. And this kind of threw me for a loop. Like, and this is know, about 35, you were 35, saying, 35, right? yeah. So I, you know, I know medicine. I know, whoa, 35, this isn't good. And I know my family history. And, and, and this gets me worried. And so, I, you know, of course, I talk to my doctor friends. Oh, no problem. Look, we'll put you on Lipitor. We'll put you on a beta blocker. But, you know, hey, if you get impotence, then we'll put you on this. And then, you know, and I know how it goes. It gets worse and worse. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks. I stopped in, in for a second and thought to myself, I mean, here are these patients coming in. My patients are coming in. they got the same disease as I do. Uh, but worse yet. Am I heading towards them? And why do they have that? Are we born with a lemon as a body? Is it just, we, we've, we're, our human bodies are just broken to begin with? Or are we just not treating them correctly? Mm. Are we not doing what's right with them? And so I really, my studies really started with this fundamental question of, you know, why are we getting sick? I mean, I had always thought about what's the disease and how to treat it. Now I was thinking, why is there a disease to begin with? Why would we evolve or be created, depending on what your beliefs are, to be so diseased. I started looking around the world. And the funny thing is I didn't know this. I mean, you might know this, and I guess a lot of people know this now. But back then, I didn't realize we were the sickest country in the world. I thought we were the greatest country in the world. Like, if you would have asked me who has the longest life expectancy, it's got to be us, right? Because we, I could get a CAT scan on you right now if I wanted to. Right. Uh, in fact, we've got the lowest life expectancy. And so I started really thinking, why don't we look at what are the healthiest people in the world doing? And uh, started looking at the Blue Zone studies, like the National Geographic study, uh, where they looked at these countries. And, and it was interesting to me to look at these countries and look at what they eat and how they think about health compared to the way we do. And it's very different. And so I started really kind of going on this idea of, well, how could I change my health? How could I change the health of my family? How could I change the health of my patients? And that has just continuously evolved to me constantly looking at how could I improve, both mentally and physically, both for myself and my own curiosity. And then if I'm going to do anything 
for my patients. I got to do it myself. Uh, I'm definitely, after my experience of being a bit of a hypocrite, now it's uh, if I'm going to walk the walk, uh, uh, if I'm going to talk the talk, I better walk the walk. Mm -hmm. And so that just got me to studying uh, aging and uh, and what might work with aging. And, and since fasting has always been a part of many different cultures, I thought I'd give that a shot. You also you mentioned during during the story in here that you were always going to medical school. Yeah. And I said, okay. And, and, oh yeah. But is that because it's a family business? I mean, yeah. what is that? What drove you to, to becoming a doctor yourself? Or it was yeah. just kind of it, a known quantity for it you. Was, no, I mean, my father was a doctor. Um, maybe it's the Jewish in me, or the doctor family, or the you know everybody I knew was a doctor. I saw one of my football coaches recently. He still remembers when I was in high school at St. John's. Uh, I got knocked out during a play, and I woke up and I kept saying, "Am I still going to be a doctor? Am I still going to be a doctor?" <laughs> I was in high school. It was just a, it was embedded in my brain. I never really thought differently. I went to University of Texas. I was a philosophy major, but only because I knew I was going to be a doctor, so I might as well study something different. Um, it just it just seemed like that was my life choice. And I always kind of, you know, you get in that kind of like everything's decided for you beforehand. And I was in that groove. That's just what it was. I was going to be a doctor, no questions. Now, the type of doctor, though. Mm. So I'm, I always wonder how, how people choose also yeah, like what type right? of doctor they're going to be yeah. to become. Was this always a passion area for you also? Again, no, not weight to family loss. or weight loss? And not weight, weight loss, no, but general surgery. So mm. my father was a surgeon. Uh, and so... I always admired the surgeon. I kind of liked the idea that there's something, again, body's broken, go in, fix it. There was this very concrete, I don't want to like throw medicines and talk about it. I want to go in there and fix it. Let me, you know, it was almost a, uh, there was almost a machismo to it that, that attracted me. Uh, all different now, but back then that's what, you know, for a young guy's thinking, that's what, that's what it was. Um, it was this kind of high stakes, high pressure game that, uh, that I wanted to uh, pursue. But I also really respected my father a lot growing up. Uh, I had a lot of love for him and respect for what he did and his work and, uh, and what he did with patients. So I went into general surgery, um, get out of um, residency, start practice here, uh, and that's just at the time that weight loss surgery is starting to catch steam. And there's no one that's doing it well in Houston. So the chairman of the Department of Surgery at Baylor says to me, we need someone who really is interested in laparoscopic surgery uh, that could do weight loss surgery, uh, would you be interested? Could you go and get extra training in that? And that's how I kind of moved into it. And, uh, and it's funny that my, my passion now is nutrition, uh, but it started out with this very technical, let me cut your stomach. Um, because, you know, it's, and it's funny, people don't realize, doctors know so little. There's a quote by Wendell Berry, and it, this quote encompasses everything I try to fight against. And that quote was, the problem with the world is that we have a healthcare system that doesn't care about food and a food care system that doesn't care about health. And I never really realized that until I'm sitting in a weight loss surgery conference and we're talking about our patients. We've cut their stomach, done all kinds of rearrangements, and they're starting to gain back weight. All right, I've now created this tiny little stomach in their and I'm sitting in this conference, a week conference, and we're talking all day about the hormones, ghrelin, you know, um, uh, all these different hormones that control metabolism, GLP-1, all this stuff. And we start talking about patients that are failing, and we, we start talking about other surgeries we could do on them. Oh, they're failing. Well, why don't we make them malabsorptive? Or why don't I put a band around their bypasser? But, you know, we never, not once do we talk about food. Mm -hmm. We never say what it was. I never even asked. We do, you know, history and physicals on patients. My patients would come in to see me. I'd do a history and physical, listen to them, check their labs, check their x-ray, do all this kind of stuff. I never asked them what they ate, which is ludicrous to me now, but that's how it was back then. Mm -hmm. But is that also because, I guess, surgeons look at things maybe surgically, you know, or, okay, um, nutritionists are looking at things from a nutrition they standpoint. You're, you're right about putting putting the two together is it almost I guess, an oxymoron or some type of dichotomy that, that as a surgeon you have pivoted in a way and are focused more about nutrition? Does that reduce in a way the number of surgeries that you do or that you want to do? Or how do you integrate, how do you integrate, how do you integrate them together so yeah. that there's a purpose to a surgical procedure and then a lifestyle that you need to, right, to maintain right. and cultivate so it's not for nothing, right? It's a good question that I've been asked many times by people, especially in the nutrition world, because then the, the opposite comes. You know, you always, 
whatever you're in, you, you know, if, if you're a hammer, all the world's a nail. So, you know, you're a nutritionist, it's all got to be about nutrition. You're a surgeon, it's all got to be about surgeon. I'm trying to fit a little bit between both worlds. But I, I did go through this kind of uh, uh, existential crisis where I said, wait a second, what am I doing? Cutting people open and doing this stuff. And uh, I started doing more nutrition in my office. And I started saying to some people, um, wait, maybe we shouldn't do surgery on you. Let's try this first. And in fact, everybody that has surgery with us has to go through a diet program, whether their insurance requires it or not. Um, my father at the time, very much the surgeon, said, well, let's compare results. Uh, because I think, he says, that it's almost malpractice to not do surgery on someone, which might seem strange unless you know the data. The surgery is very successful. Mm-hmm. And we're not dealing with people that are a little bit overweight, right? These are morbidly obese right. people, um, over 100 pounds over their ideal body weight. The data is very clear that they've got a shortened life expectancy. Oh, my patients have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, reflux. And it's not easy to change. And when you look at a morbidly obese patient, there's this tendency to want if you're a nutritionist or if you're an exercise guy. I mean, you might see a morbidly obese patient and think, well, why doesn't he just eat like me, Greg Scheiman? Why doesn't he just come to Rose Studio? I'll get that guy skinny. It, it, it ain't so simple, all right? It, if you look at the studies, um, they did some great studies um, in Holland where they, they had twins separated at birth, grew up in completely different environments. And you could grow up in a skinny family that goes hiking all the time or biking as they do in Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't matter. It, if one twin was obese, the other twin's going to be obese, up, upwards of 85%. In fact, they, they concluded that weight was one of the most inherited genes that we had. Mm-hmm. And what are we inheriting? Well, we're inheriting metabolism, but we're also inheriting hunger. Like my patients, yeah, I never get full. I never get full. And so a lot of my patients that I'm working with, it, it just telling them to eat, you know, when they sit down across, it, and it's very, I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that study nutrition or, or, or comment on nutrition or comment on, on health that never sit across from a patient and actually have to hear their story and then follow them up and mm-hmm. be responsible for helping them change right, their lives. Right. And that's a different experience. And I hear from these people, look, you're going to put me on another diet? I was in a fat camp at 10 years old. I've tried diets on my, my patients have tried. There was a New York Times article that said no one should get weight loss surgery until they've done a ketosis diet. Every one of my patients has done a ketosis diet. There's not a single patient I've ever operated on that hasn't tried a ketosis. They've tried everything. Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, they, they're desperate people. These aren't people that are like, oh, man, I'm overweight. Let me go and do the easy way out. They've all mm-hmm. tried, and we wouldn't take someone like that. I'm not going to operate on someone who's like, yeah, hey, man, I'm eating cheeseburgers, but now I just want to eat a little less cheeseburgers. So what you do surgery? That's not my patients, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the way I look at surgery now, we always certainly, I talk about diet from the first moment that they come in. What are they eating? How could we change that? And I make it very clear that my goal is a lifestyle change. Now, there are genes and things that may make it harder for you to change your lifestyle than it was for me or than it was for someone else. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, I've got tools in my repertoire that can help that. For instance, I could do a surgery that just makes your stomach smaller and decreases the level of ghrelin hormone. Ghrelin is a hormone that we know that goes from the stomach to the brain, makes you hungry. Overweight people have more hunger. So you don't, until you've walked a mile in their shoes, you don't understand what Mm -hmm. hunger is. As I sit here fasting, I kind of get an idea of what they may feel like on a daily basis. So I could do a surgery where I limit your ghrelin. I could do a surgery because you have diabetes where I reroute your intestine and, and, you know, which changes certain hormones that control diabetes. And, um, and I could do those things, and those are a tool, but they're a tool to change your lifestyle. So the big goal in our clinic is once we've changed these things that are working against you, you then have to take those changes and run with it. Mm-hmm. And my patients that run with it, they're doing Ironmans now. I mean, imagine I, I did a, 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 a triathlon with my patients. He was 500 pounds. And now he's 200 pounds and doing an Ironman. I mean, that's the kind of changes we mm-hmm. see. And it's, that's, that's not a, a one-off story. That's what we see every day uh, in the clinic, which was, makes my job so enjoyable. But so now I, I really feel like I'm combining both of my passions. My passions, getting that fixed with whatever the problem was, but also working at preventing disease, uh, uh, both before and after surgery. Sure, which is, obviously, as you said, incredibly fulfilling. You know, incredibly to, fulfilling. To see yeah. that. So... You also mentioned, so now you're doing triathlons with, with your patients or yeah, certainly yeah. on your own. When did you 
when did you get involved in, in those yourself? I mean, your, yeah. your own personal athleticism. You know, as yeah. you said, you had a life insurance scare, right. okay, which, at, at 35, yeah. but you've now, and Aaron, how old are you now, if you don't 48. Remember? 48, okay. Well, about to turn 48. Yeah. At kind of elite level athlete, you know, status for, for your age bracket, you yeah. know, and I'm 40, 45, and we're all trying to, yeah, st- trying to get, uh, be healthier now than I certainly was probably in my you know, in uh, my 20s, you know? Me compared to... So at 35, when I had that health scare, I, uh, at that time, I would drive... I, I remember so clearly because I'd be driving home by a memorial park where people are running. So people are running. I'm like, what are those crazy people doing? <laughs> what do they do? I couldn't figure out this mindset. You know what happened is um, as I'm studying different diets and I say I'm going to change my diet, and I decided, and it was the day of my, my daughter's birth, that I decided I'm going vegetarian based on the science that I've read. I remember I clearly, as day, my first vegetarian meal, because before that time, I didn't ever eat vegetables. So this idea of going vegetarian was, uh, was very foreign to me. Um, but I, I remember it clearly, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. This isn't doable. I can't do this. How am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Look, I sit here across from you now thinking it's not doable. It's not how am I going to change? Where do I go? What do I do? Is yeah, you know the feasible? word I hear more mm-hmm. than any other word when I'm talking with people is can't. I hear that word all the time, and I used to use that word all the time. I can't. I can't do this. I can't run. I can't. I started changing my diet, and it was hard because, it, boy, look, back then there wasn't a lot of plant-based. I mean, that's a whole different ball game now. I mean, there's plant burgers everywhere. Everyone's mm-hmm. going vegan. It's become the, the big hip thing to do. But when I was doing it, no one was doing it, and uh, there weren't any plant-based places to eat, and it was, it was difficult. And it took me some time, but the more I did it, the better I felt. But not just the, the better, it wasn't just that I was feeling better physically. There was this very mental, oh my God, you could teach an old dog new tricks type mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, I can do things that I couldn't do before. And so I started asking myself questions. If I could change my diet, can I change how I exercise? Because I know exercise makes a difference. I'm telling my patients to exercise, I'm still a hypocrite, I'm still not exercising. Can I do it? So, what, it was also, it was also almost like, I want to start facing fears. Because we get such an rut, we don't ever face our fears. Mm-hmm. So I want to face my fear of not just exercising, but what am I really scared of doing? Well, I'm scared of getting in a pool and swimming. I've never swam before. Never run before. I've never yeah. been on a bike before. Let me do a triathlon. And, you know, start with a sprint. Do the sprint. Yep. Like, oh, my God, I, I could do this. Could I do an Olympic? That sounds ridiculous, but let me try an Olympic distance. Okay, I could do that. Let me try a half Ironman. That's how it went. And I mm-hmm. just serially went up. All of a sudden, I did an Ironman. And I remember that crossing that finish line in 2011 of that Ironman, like it was. I think about it. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about finishing that Ironman. I want to do it again, but my wife has <laughs> forbid me. Hope she doesn't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> but she's giving me the no go on the Ironman. But uh, but it was a very crossing that finish line was a very. Um, I mean, you know, training for it is mm-hmm. just insane. And, and crossing that finish line was such a you can do anything, and you could always try to get better. And that's been kind of the story ever since. So it's always trying to get better. But what I like about also in, in the story is it's not like you set out to do an Ironman. and said, okay, like there's this, this goal of doing an Ironman that is so far down the line, right, you right. know. It's, it's the process of let me get in the water, okay. Yeah. Let me get on a bike. Yeah. Let me run a little bit. Right. Okay, let me do a sprint, okay. Right. Then let me do an Olympic. It's, you know, what's that? Well, you wouldn't eat an elephant, right? Because you're a vegan, but like, right. how do you eat an elephant? One, 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 one bite, bite at a time, time right? right? And you, and and that's the way you break down these tasks, and it and they yeah. it makes them achievable and overall too. I remember my first try, and I haven't done uh, done a lot of them, but it was more of, well, that's an interesting challenge. So yeah. like, okay, I do like to swim, I do like to bike, I do not like to run, you know, right, overall, right, right. Um, but. You get in the pool, and all of a sudden there's 200 people around you, or, or a lake, an open water swimming. It's a completely different feeling. It's oh, yeah. an amazing rush to go rush. running towards the water with all yeah. of these bodies and legs and arms flying all yeah. over the place. And I'd never experienced anything like it. The first time I got swam over, you know, basically by like a person, right. was 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 wild, you know, in there. You feel alive again or something. There's something in that competitive spirit and that challenging yourself that makes you feel alive. There is, and you get out of that water and the next thing you want to know is, okay, that should have been longer. You know, I wish that was longer, you know? Or, you know? Right. And, and it evolves into that, to that process. Um, obviously, you're a goal-oriented, kind of goal, goal-driven person. I'm going to ask you, is the rest of your family vegan also? 
Um, my wife is pretty much vegan, although from time to time she'll have some cheese and stuff like that. The kids are vegetarian. You know, raising kids, um, and we've got similar age kids, I, you know, having me as a father, and I'm sure your kids, you got to worry about this. Like, I don't want to give them an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to be very careful with how I want them to choose the to eat this way yep. rather than make them. And I can't, I can't withhold ice cream from them. And yeah, I've tried the vegan ice creams and stuff, but it, you know, it, uh, I can't match up with what they're getting when they go with their friends. So I don't push it. You know, I'm, you know, they know what's healthy. They eat way more fruits and vegetables than their peers do. Um, and it's always funny to me because I remember once we were eating with some friends of ours and my kids were eating crudite over here at uh, True Health and the, their kids were eating a burger. And my friend asked me, aren't you, um, aren't you concerned about their health? And it's just so funny to me looking at them eating a, a bowl of crudite and their mm-hmm. kid eating a cheeseburger. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried about their health. Um, but, you know, they still eat pizza and they still eat stuff. But they're very um, – well, look, a lot of my dietary advice when – I, when I first got into diet, it was all about health, right, health and personal change. Mm-hmm. And from a health and personal change, you don't need to be vegan, all right? You can, you can eat a little bit of meat and be healthy. Um, properly sourced meat, we could get into that, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, you know people, you yourself are mm-hmm. a very healthy person and you're not vegan, so there's, there's, there's healthy non-vegans out there. Although I could show you data showing vegans live the longest, but, but there are healthy non-vegans out there. Uh, my being vegan, the reason these shoes aren't leather and the belt isn't mm-hmm. leather, goes beyond health. That goes into, as I started studying the nutrition, started studying where do we get our meat from, start learning what happens in slaughterhouses, start learning about the environment, which is really huge, especially when you have kids and you start thinking about that. And so you start becoming vegan for other reasons. And my kids are very aware of those other reasons. Uh, We've gone to farm sanctuaries. They made a really good friend named Cooper the turkey, which made them never want to eat turkey at Thanksgiving ever. (laughs) And so, you know, it's been kind of an evolution with our family. And I'm I'm pretty sure as time goes on, they'll probably go towards vegan, but I don't want to push them that way. Mm -hmm. But you said the... What's interesting to me is the open-mindedness. You know, it comes across as it with you. It's obviously it's genuine and it's authentic, and you're and you are living it yourself. But it's also not preachy or emphatic. Like, okay, I don't feel like I need to take my shoes off, you know, right, right, right. and put them out outside the door. Right. And I think that's appreciated. I think one way to to get through to even more people is to be open-minded. Uh, to other, to other viewpoints, you may not believe it, you may live a different lifestyle, but more of leading by example and, again, education and the gradual, you know, almost sprint to Olympic to Ironman kind of approach ends up getting through. It's almost like with the kids, too. If you just jam it, jam it, jam it, it's not going to get there. I couldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have gone straight from meat-eating to vegan. There's no way. I had to have my, you know, um, and, and to have, like, a natural vegan diet. I had to have I, – I ate veggie cheeseburgers every day forever. You know, I was eating mm-hmm. eggs all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I couldn't have made that change. And, you know, um, you know, I, I like I, – I never want to become dogmatic. I always want to be challenged. Uh, you know, I, I, I like um, – on Twitter and, and social media, I always follow all the people that have the exact opposite views of me. I follow yeah. them all the time. Uh, you know, I, I'm very, I always read the, I, I probably read the ketosis research more than I do the vegan research. Sure. Um, I, and, and that makes a lot of sense yeah. also because you kind of want to be armed with the information yeah, about you know, point, and, point and counterpoint. Right. You know, we talked about this when you first went in, and I think you did. Um, You've done Rich Roll's podcast before, yeah, I have, right? Yeah, twice. Yeah. Uh, twi- okay, and and it's outstanding. I mean, I listen to, I to his lot. podcast all the time, and I don't think I live my life almost in any Anywhere way um, the way he the way he lives his. But it does not make the messaging right. any less authentic, you know, right. or, or how you apply the messaging and the dialogue and the belief and the ideology and the yeah. authenticity to it all, depending upon what. What practice I might preach also, you know, right. in there. Um, you, always, you pick things that, look, as a surgeon, like, so my surgical technique for doing a gastric bypass, there are little pieces I do throughout that process that I've picked up from different people. I went and some, saw someone do it in Dallas. does it completely different than me. But there's one thing I liked, so I'm going to take that back with me. Mm-hmm. Go up to New York, see someone. I'm going to take this back, and now I've got my own process based on all that I've learned. Was all I think that's valid, too. I think it's yeah. it's... it's an example of almost you can do that with anything. You yeah. know what I mean? And 
wherever it is, I mean, with we can talk about health and fitness, we can talk about nutrition, I can talk about insurance and risk management, and there, you know, there are little tricks and little things and tips you pick up from different people that do things very well. I mean, right. we just got back from from New York over the break. I love when I get into a new market. I want to go, let me go check out the boutique fitness studios. Let me go see this one. These guys are doing a boxing thing over there that's awesome. Let me go see what they're doing over at Tone House. Let me see how these trainers train or how they coach. And now with social media, which is great too, I mean, it's a, it's a blessing to curse sometimes. You know, I, I could be watching people work out all day long and you, know, you can't keep up and it drives you bonkers or whatever. Right. In there, But you can also pick up great tips and great inspiration and motivation and education yeah. on, on that too. Um, we could definitely talk food and nutrition and all that all the time. I want to get into a little bit, some of the other personal personal type stuff, um, a little bit more. You had mentioned to me that you're you're preparing for a move. Okay, we're in mm-hmm. Houston right now, right? And and you're preparing for a move to Asheville, North Carolina, right. which would be a whole fa- your whole family, whole you know, family. as well. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit. The the your mindset on where you are in, in your life or what made you decide mm-hmm. to to make this move and, and how you make decisions. I mean, coming into what I kind of call a little bit and the midlife male. You know, we talked right. about 35. You remember the first kid? Yeah. But here we are now, you know, at, the, at this stage and how you think differently. Right. And so fill, fill me in on that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you kind of hit on it. It, it. it is a bit of a midlife crisis, but not in a bad way. People talk about midlife crisis almost like it's a bad thing mm-hmm. because they have this idea of a guy in a Corvette with a young girl who's just divorced his wife. You know, I mean, I think the word crisis in nature, crisis, just, right? Me, right. and I, that's I try to get yeah. rid of the word crisis and go, we're just we're midlife. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what's my future? And my future can be almost like a Groundhog Day. Look, from a career point with my career in Houston, I've kind of reached the pinnacle. It's on. It's on uh, uh, autopilot. I've got two junior partners that are fantastic. There are enough bariatric surgeons down in Houston that there's no demand. So if I leave, it's not going to hurt the city of Houston in any way, shape, or form. But I was feeling stagnant. You know, I'm doing that. I'm waking up, doing the same thing every day. There is this kind of, you know, the, you know, my wife and I sat. We got one great life on this crazy little planet. If we were going to live it. To the max. What would we want? Well, we want a smaller town. I, I, I've been in a big. I've been in Houston since I was born. Am I going to die in Houston? Am I going to be on six ten traffic all my life? I love Houston. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but it's all I've ever known. What would if I was going to do something different? Let me do something really different. I want to go to a smaller town. I want mountains. I want to be able to go hiking and and biking and and all these kind of things and trail running. And so my wife and I actually kind of came up with a list. Where would we want to live? And we came up with a list, and we checked out some of these places. So I want to live in Santa Barbara. I went out and checked it out. Beautiful place. This is cool. Went out and checked Boulder, Fort Collins. Um, And we kept seeing Asheville. Asheville kept coming up on the list, and it seemed to have everything that I wanted in a place. So there was a Spartan race coming up there. And I was like, look, why not just go and do the Spartan race? Have some fun. Check out the town. Go there. Love it. It's great. It's amazing. But when you really start, you know, it's one thing to have a theory of moving. It's another thing to say, I'm going to leave a very successful practice that I've spent years and years creating, leave all my friends and family behind, and go off on a lifelong journey. That seems a little much. So I loved Asheville. There wasn't really a job around, and I just kind of forgot that dream. And then one day, after Harvey, funny enough, but, you know, I started thinking, what if I was going to move again? What if I start revisiting that? And I went on the uh, internet and just kind of look up bariatric surgery jobs. And the first thing that pops up is Asheville. They got a job there. And it, it was kind—it was like, oh my god, that's weird. And so I, you know, I don't know how much the, the metaphysical and stuff, but I've gotten more into. We could start talking about all these weird. As you start to get into the self-improvement, you start looking at different things. Mm-hmm. You start looking at things differently instead of this very scientific A to B to C. I still use science, but I start looking at it a different way. I start meditating and things like that. Yep. And I see this, and I kind of think maybe the universe is talking to me. You know, maybe this is a sign, because it just seems weird that the first thing that pops up, I call Asheville, we know you, we've read your book. And it, this is, oh, wow, this is really working out. Go and meet them, get there, and just have this feeling that I like it. Then I've got it. But then, you know, it's like that feeling you got when you were a kid, and you stand at the end of a diving board. Or recently I was in Mexico, 
and I was on a cliff. We were doing cliff jumping with my young daughter. And she gets up to that cliff and just jumps off. And I get up there. I look down. I'm like, oh, my God. And you get that kind of I'm not going to do it <laughs> feeling. And you just think to yourself, just do it. Just do it. Let, let, let's just see what happens because that's what life is all about. That's what the fun is. Just do it. Sign the papers and move in the family. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm it's excited. The, It sounds super, super exciting. Yeah. And and I've never been to Asheville. You're now the second person I know who's going to, to oh, you Asheville. you've got to come and visit okay. because you'll love it. I definitely will come. Yeah. I certainly will take you up on the invitation. Yeah, okay, I'll harass yeah. you until we get down there. Yeah. And, yeah, we have we have some friends, actually. It's, as I said, it's the second time I've heard of Asheville, whose son just signed um, to go play baseball down there. With the tourists? At the UNC uh, oh, Asheville. Oh, the UNC Asheville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for college. So he's he's yeah. just graduating from high school, and he's going to go down yeah. to Asheville. That's and they great. had all the same... Yeah. the same things to say. Yeah, you know, it's funny, again, about the universe and whether you believe that or not, but after I started thinking about Asheville, it's like everywhere I turn, people are coming up to me like, oh, Asheville's the greatest place I've ever been. Oh, my God, I wanted to move there. Oh, my God. I've already had doctors asking me if there's jobs available up there. But I think it's more also about whether it's Asheville or it could be Boulder yeah, for another Boulder, person. Or it could be, be I've always wanted to live in the middle of New York City and right. I've never been to New York before, right. and which which I would have gone the other way. But right, anyway, right, right. But, but the point being the... The willingness to, again, explore areas of opportunity. You say, okay, is this it? Is this enough? Do right. I want to try something different? Am I yeah. willing to, to take that, that risk or do it? And, and I talk to lots of entrepreneurs all the, all the time about all different things um, in there. And it's similar. Some people have that ability, you know, that courage, whatever you want to call it, to take that leap and take that risk. But I wouldn't say some people. I'd say all people have. Well, I think all people have, they think, everybody thinks about it yeah, but or, no, or wants to. Very, very, very few end up actually doing it. I mean, you could probably walk around the office that I'm in right now and you'll get, there'll be 20 people in here that have ideas for businesses. Right, right, right. right. How and many of them, them will, will, right. will actually then go out and necessarily execute? Right. You know, or how many of us will drive That's 610 a, every day for years yeah. and, not, and not actually really put pen to paper and think about moving anywhere But again, else. it goes back to that, that idea you're talking about with the steps, like little steps instead of one big thing. I'm not, when you describe those, when, when I hear about those entrepreneurs and, I, and you hear about those people, I don't ever feel like that person. Like, I feel like I'm still a, a fairly balanced, think about it thing. But I think that I've learned over the past 10, 12 years, you know, I can do this that I didn't think. Just like I can do a sprint and I can do this. And then it, it evolves into all, you know, morphs into other things. I can change my practice a little bit and add, you know, diet, diet dietary uh, and exercise I can and then you know eventually goes to I can move and it wasn't you know I don't want people out there to be like that's it I'm quitting my job tomorrow mm -hmm. I'm motivated I'm quitting it wasn't that I mean I did you know made sure that I had good people taking over my practice that yep. I wasn't letting mm -hmm. anybody down that the job I'm going to is a good job you know this wasn't a, all of a sudden I'm gonna mm -hmm. go to you know Tory India but um yeah very very valid point yeah. that it's not a it's not an immediate. It's not yeah. a boom, okay? Today I'm doing this, and tomorrow I'm doing something right. completely different. Right. And I think that's a bit of a mis, kind of yeah. misconception for a lot of people that they think it has to be that definitive, it yeah. that it is a gradual process of, of also maturity, of yeah. thinking, what, do I, what pieces do I have to put together in order to make this happen? And if they add up, okay, maybe I'll, ma I'll make this move or I'll take this step. Right. If they and, don't add up, but the number one thing to start it out has to be openness. To, an idea that you can look outside the box and that you can make differences in your life and that you is can Is it change. just openness? Is it also, I mean, you talked about balance, you know, but, but we also touched a little bit on it even before we, we pushed the button on this thing about happiness a little bit too. You mm -hmm. know, like what makes you happy? Yeah, what makes you happy? And how does that change over the course of right. of a decade, you know, or a year? A year? Right. And, and where are you at with and I'm asking this, where are you at with your own, you know, happiness looking forward to this to this move and everything? Where where are you at? Yeah, see, that's an interesting thing because I don't think before I started making these changes I ever thought about happiness or am I happy. That just wasn't something that crossed my mind, am I happy. I just am who I am as everybody is. I never really thought about, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm going to go to work. That was my thought. I never really thought about happiness, which I think is what I see very commonly in this, in men and in people our age, um, is this 
I never really thought about happiness. What does happiness mean to me? And so I started asking those questions. Does happiness, is happiness to me being in the operating room all the time? No, definitely not. Is happiness to me not being in the operating room? No, that's where I feel comfortable. Uh, is happiness being in a big city, is happiness being, I, in the end, what I felt like was, first of all, part of happiness has to be change, has to be being pliable and being able to make changes. Otherwise, you get stuck in a rut, no matter how much you like that rut, that's not going to be happy to you over time. Number two, family. Um, part of this move was just that I, I'm seeing my kids, I mean, we're, we're kind of stale, uh, you know, it's Saturday. What are we going to do? You want to go to the Galleria? You know, it's just, it got, it's getting stale. I, w I want them to be outside. I want them, uh, my, my one kid's going to be at a school where um, they're on the river every day kayaking and hiking. And like this very kind of different experience I want my kids to have. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I want them to grow very different. That makes me happy to see them like that. And then the other happiness is, you know, the things I like, the I don't want to run on a pavement. I want to run in a forest. I, I don't want to bike um, around the little loop at Memorial, which is the only loop you can bike around without getting hit by a car. I want to bike in mountains. And so these are things that I knew would make me happy. And I was somewhat motivated by a friend of mine who was up for partner at V&E. And, &E. and, you know, that's a big thing. And he's looking at the partners. He's my age. And he's a triathlete, one of the best in Houston. And, and he's like... Being a triathlete makes me happy. For me to be a partner, while that's the biggest success I could possibly have in a professional life, is going to make me unhappy because I'm not going to be able to be a triathlete. So he chose not to take partnership and go in-house with a, a job that allowed him to continue to be a triathlete. And that, that was interesting to me because my, my thought was that happiness equaled success equaled professional work. Mm. And in fact, as I've gotten older, I found that's not the case. I, I agree with you there, and, and um, I'm interested. I want to find out who the who the who the friend is and the triathletes. Okay, there's another guy again who's doing the same, going through the same stuff. He's great. Yeah. It's it's about that balance, mm -hmm. you know. It's about you know everybody's kind of pie chart or percentages are different. Kind of where where that's where that's shifted. I mean. We're sitting, we're doing this right now, we're doing this in a conference room, we're doing it in my office. These chairs are typically you know, occupied by the other partners, share, shareholders in there. And it was a similar decision, you know, before for myself. And it's something we've even wrestled with here. How much do we expect of our partners and our shareholders? What does that do uh, to quality of life, if you will, or other interests, you know, in there? Yeah, yeah, right. um, and I think about it in, in, in our world here, in a way, like, you... You eat what you kill, okay? Right, right. I mean, that's that's just how I make my living, you know, yeah. how, how we all do. So if I want to participate in the decathlon or I want to train in the mornings or I want to talk to somebody like yourself for an hour and a, and a half or whatever, at what cost, okay, does that cost me X number of dollars, let's right. say new business generation? Right. Um, and if so, is that letting down the other partners or shareholders who are spending more time here, maybe wearing the suit more often and getting in maybe earlier or leaving a little bit later? Tough um, decision. Or coaching the teams, you yeah, know, or being the at the teams, school, you yeah. know, got to leave here, got to be at the court, you know, at four o'clock right. to do that. It's all, it's all a balance, you know, in there. And those decisions like your, like your friend made, and you know, so we all have to make you gotta, you know, you gotta weigh that stuff out. Yeah. And you know, the other thing, um, it's interesting because the other thing you have to think about with happiness is sometimes we feel, as fathers, that we that our happiness no longer matters. That we have to that what matters is our family. That's all that matters, right? That that it. I, I think most of us, or, or the good fathers, well, I shouldn't say that, but because I know some great fathers, but they're so dedicated to their work. That's all they, that that's what makes them happy. Mm -hmm. But um. But we feel like if we're not with our kids, like when I was training for Iron Man, I wasn't with my kids. I can't remember that period of time with my youngest, and it kills me. Mm -hmm. Like I can't remember doing the things I did with my oldest because I was training all the time, mm -hmm. and that, that, that kills me. And so, now, so there's this tendency to say, I want to work really hard because I want to get money for them. All that matters is them, and then I'm going to go and see them. I'm not going to have any life things that I do myself. I'm right. not going to train. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that because all that matters is them. And there's a big problem in that because if you're not happy, it will play out in the family. And that's happened with me. Yep. And I've gone through phases where I was um, really not happy 
And when I was really not happy, no one in the family was happy. And, and so being happy for yourself is, is being happy for the family, too, I think. And it's hard for people to accept that. Definitely. I, I mean, I think, again, we try to lead by example. I mean, and it's just like you say with, with eating habits. You know, they're, gonna, they're seeing what you eat. They're observing this, these habits every single day or that you get up to go train or whatever without things being said, the same way they see that you're happy or that you're unhappy, you know, or how much time you spend in the office. or right. where And again, back to the balance of all of it. There are certain things I can't get to because I do have to work. Right. Mm -hmm. And it would be irresponsible to not, you know, right. to right. do that. There are other things I absolutely have to go to okay, right. because it would be irresponsible of me to not be there at the expense of, of spending another two hours right. work, working, you know, for, for something. But I do think it's a, really, it's a really good point that we tend to forget about ourselves a lot um, and give more of ourselves for the family, for the kids, for, every, for everybody else. And if it takes too great of a toll on you, it ends up affecting everybody in the in the exact opposite manner of the way that you wanted it to, you know, right. in in the first in the first place that that's there. So. Yeah, I went through a, I went through a very like actual calculated thought about this because after Iron Man I was on such a high, but I had missed out on a, a year of my kid's life basically because I was training so hard for that, and so I, I really have struck just like you talk about a balance. So I, I have to work out when I get out of work. I just I'm not going to be happy if I don't work out when I get out of work. Um, and I can't do it in the mornings because I can't operate well if I've, if I've uh, exercised. So my wife knows that. i got to exercise afterwards. But I'm going to go for 30 to 45 minutes. I'm not going to go for the two-hour workout mm -hmm. I was doing before. And I'm not going to do Ironman. I said my wife forbid me, but I'm not going to do it myself. I'm just not going to I'm glad you it. came back because I made a note on that, yeah. and I wanted to ask you about yeah. that as it pertains to relationships and then yeah. what we say with a little smirk or what's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we always blame the wife. But the, the fact of the matter is... I, I still to this day will see a picture of my my youngest with my wife. The other day I, I was saying, I don't remember ever singing to her uh, when I put her to bed like I did my first child. And she goes, oh, well, you were training all that time. I mean, you were out, you know, you would finish work and go and do a, a two-hour bike ride. Uh, so you weren't there when we put her down. And I was like, oh, my God, that kills me that I wasn't there. I'm still glad I did Iron Man, but... Mm -hmm that kills me that I wasn't there. And so in the future, could I do that again? Could I miss this part of their life? I don't think I could at this point. I mean, maybe, look, there's going to come a time when they're in high school and they don't want to see dad right, anymore. Right, right. And then I'll do my next time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and there are diff different, different stages on, on all of on all of that. Yeah. Now as we turn the corner and one's, you know, 11-year-old still wants to hang out with me all the time, still yeah. wants to be around, can't get the kid out of the bed. That's you know, in between right. us, 14-year-old can't get him downstairs. You know, and, yeah, that's and what anymore, I'm worried about. That's know, coming things, up, right? Yeah. yeah. And and it's it's different. Yeah. It's just, it's very, very different in in that regard. Yeah. Um, let's let's get into, it's, it's always touching. I don't know exactly how to ask it, but I'm just going to flat out. Yeah, how much does the money play into any of this, the finances? You know what? Um, that's a great question because I'm taking a pay cut to move. Are you talking about what does it take to move or to well, no, just I in mean, general no, to I mean, life? Exactly happiness? kind of what you what you and I said. Okay, yeah. look, we have a pretty good quality life. Right. Okay. Sure. I mean, you've you've been successful. All yeah. the stuff we're talking about, it costs. Okay, we yeah. like things. Is it? Can, Okay, am I am I going to Asheville? Am I taking a pay? Am I taking a pay cut? Are we going to live smaller to live bigger? You know, in a, in a way, in other things. I'm so just the, so the came down, look, it, it plays in. So I said I like Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. so I had a possible job up there, but that was going to be a huge pay cut. So that was like too much because at that point I was like, okay, that's going to be too much of a lifestyle change for me and my family and my kids. I think if it was just me. I would be going minimalism in life uh, because uh, you start getting this Buddhist idea of attachment to things, and, and, and that's the cause of suffering. So uh, get away from that. But you got kids, you got a family, you got a wife. Uh, my kids, you know, I, I could be as Buddhist as I want to be. I want my kid to go to this crazy school where they're in the in the thing, and that costs right. money. That's not mm -hmm. public school. And and so I, I think finances are important, but I don't think they are the important thing. So. My early days of thinking like, oh, one day I'll patent something and become a millionaire. And I, I, I got a friend who, who sold his company for $30 million. He's miserable. And he thought, oh, if I could just get to $10 million, if I just get to $30 million. And he was like, one day he's like, I got $30 million. I'm still miserable. I realize it's not the millions. So I, it's, again, one of those balanced things. I think that, you know, finance, you know, having 
financial, I have the ability to go on trips and see the world and do things like that. That's important. But at the same time, uh, and have my kids go in the schools I want, but at the same time, um, it, it's not everything to me. It's not something, I, I feel like I have more than enough. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, again, it's good. I wonder about that stuff all the time, even personally. I go, you know, maybe we're all getting to this place kind of maybe as, as, as men because we've worked so hard in a way also. Wow, I, I could be in an Airstream trailer, like right down I by the Lake Travis, like having a really good time, growing every day and could doing do everything. Tomorrow. Yeah. And then Kate will turn around and say to me, there's no way you could, okay? Yeah. And on top of that, if it was, it would have to be the nicest Airstream Yeah, it would have to be like, nice. Yeah. Like, have to be so, nice. So let's just let's put this back in, into perspective, <laughs> perspective of like, of like right. where we are. Um, but perspective, good? do you need the Corvette or the Ferrari or the, that kind of stuff? No, I, I have... I have a mental, and, I, and actually it's something I really want to work on going forward. It's what I call like my yes-no list, okay? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, like yes-no. Like, right. like absolutely not to the yellow Lamborghini, you right. know, or the no, regardless of, of finances. Right. It's just an always no. Right. But absolute yes to like the Land Rover Defender, mm-hmm. like restored, gotcha. like, sure. like, yeah, like yeah. what's iconic right. in value? Like right. what is just showy in a way right. or ostentatious, you right. know, or what's like... The Levi's are great, iconic brand, okay? Ornate, true religion, like, no, okay? Like, like, what are you going to do? And I start looking at things that way, too, with the way we live and the way we travel, you know, and, and even the types of clients and business we want to do. And, and, you know, yes to early morning workouts and breakfast meetings with people. No to cigar bars and happy hours, you know, and, and stuff like that. Okay. Where where is it to help make these decisions and say does that keep me or keep us maybe on on plan? Um, but you know what fascinates me about this and it, and where you and I like we just talked really briefly at the gym and I was like oh my god I want to talk more with Greg because so few people do this but it's it's introspection that having that yes no because so many people don't have I didn't have that before I didn't have a yes no I had a whatever's on this groove of life that I'm in is what it is uh, it's nicer cars it's nicer houses I was on that groove. And now I'm off that group, which doesn't mean I don't like nice things. Um, but I ask myself those questions just like you do. And that, that's what I think is important, is having introspection. How important is this in the, in the equation of life? And, and if it makes you happy, great. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. And look, fortunately, all different kinds of people have all different kinds of tastes, right. have all different kinds of things. And that's why... You know, all yeah. this stuff is available, and it's all out yeah. there. Pick what, what suits you best. Yeah, you like know, my father has a passion for cars, and he is happy in his car. You know, he gets a nice car, and this is making – and it's not for him about show. It's about the car, you know, mm-hmm. like the driving experience. Okay, great. It's a different thing if it was about, oh, let me show the Joneses what I bought. That's not going to ever bring you happiness, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, uh, but but it, but having that introspection to be able to kind of decide what makes you happy and and, and how that fits in the equation, I think that's the important lesson. Def- definitely, and I think on there too is there's nothing wrong with with wanting nice things or having nice things and working hard for them. Uh, but like we talked about minimalism, I don't know how minimal you know or how simple I could possibly get because. Sure, I'd love to be in the mountains and love to be in the woods and do it. But where do I want to look? I want to look at the glamping spot. You know, right. like I don't want to put the tent up Absolutely. like myself. You know, I don't. We went glamping like, recently you know. with the kids, and it was <laughs> it was it was camping, but it was glamping. Right. And There's look, a better way to do this. Yeah, I talked a big game, but I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Asheville and live more minimalistic. And meanwhile, I'm checking out the nicest road bikes that they have. Maybe I should get this custom made. For, mm-hmm. You know, it's, and do I need a custom made bike? <laughs> Probably not. So I, I need I need to check it. But you know, that, I think that that pool's always going to be there. That materialism is going to be there and it's okay as long as you're not attached you know it's a funny story because um i always loved the um 1980s mercedes 560 sl convertibles you know Mm -hmm. i know well love that car father had one when i was young always had a dream of having that car saw it on ebay one day Uh, i'd been looking for them saw one on ebay that i liked started bidding for it next thing you know i win it all right and I got to tell my wife, oh my God, I just won something I didn't think I was going to win, but we're going to get this car. And she knew I've always loved this car. And the car comes in, and I am like dying over this car. And again, this is a, this is a love of a car. Um, this is real attachment. And it arrives, and it, it, it's better looking than it was in the pictures. I'm so excited. Put it into the garage. My wife drives home. My daughter opens the door, slams the side of it, 
and there's a huge dent in my car. My car that is pristine since 1985. <laughs> and I went out there, and it was such a shock. It was like, oh, my God. And I had to have one of those moments where I was like, do I? And she's crying because she realizes what she did. And I had to, I had to have this, like, you know, wait a second. How important is the car versus my kid? I need to understand that this is possession. I love the car, but I can't have that kind of attachment to it. And um, that was a real learning experience, actually, was that day. I'm sure. It, it's, it's funny you, you use that actual example. My father, uh, he was a huge car guy also. Um, and he was a flashy guy. I mean, he, there were the sunglasses and the, and the gold and then the car. I mean, he's, he's a self-made guy okay? mm -hmm. um, who wasn't about the showing off to anybody else, but just that was his style. That, was his, that was his yeah. panache. And, and yeah. he would swap them out. And he would buy... That, that car, that Mercedes convertible, for mm -hmm. my mother, like every couple of years, they would change oh, yeah. color like every couple of oh, years. Right. And I always remember that car. I, I could, this day, I could tell you how to take the top off, how to yeah. put the soft top off, what type of rent, the wrenches that come well, with mine, it, you know. So and that, in there, and the car was always, always around. And it's one of the things I remember most about my mother and father's relationship was that changing of the car that he could do that for her every couple of years and there was always another one there and he passed away young and, and at 40, 47 which is another reason I got involved in kind of health and longevity and sustainability saying you know 40, 47 seems yeah, like crazy. ridiculously that's young that. I mean he's a big smoker in her. and I think about it now at 45 going again back to perspective I've always said I'm going to live every day as I possibly can and do the things I want to and if I make you know, I'll make it past 47, like, boom, terrific, like, terrific, but anything could happen. I could right. take incredible care of myself and get hit by a bus tomorrow, but so let's sure. be happy and enjoy. Yeah. I guess the, the, you know, the point, you know, I was trying to kind of to, to make on all this is that I don't even really, really know where it was, but, but things are short, things are precious. You find ways to remember things, you know, like that car did for you. Mm -hmm. And I have items that my father left left to my brothers and I mm -hmm. that I would never wear in my personal style, like like yeah, if yeah. you will. Yeah. But it's more of the memory, you yes. know. Like there's like to have it in your garage or to have it in the drawer to be able to see it. Like those things are are meaningful and they become iconic. Too. But you got to be careful about too much attachment to. It. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that car now because I'm moving and mm -hmm. I want to take it with me and all that kind of stuff and so uh, it's for sale to you. <laughs> but but yeah so but I mean you know that kind of attachment you know it goes back to that do I need that car in order to be happy in Asheville and I don't. So. Well, there's the experiences versus things conversation and that that's becoming much more prevalent at least in my household too and even to myself. What's more important, experiences or things? Yeah. I could buy more things. Okay. Mm -hmm. But would this experience or taking this trip or going to this place or having just this extra time, you know, to with a little less pressure, or a little bit more enjoyment, would those experiences be better, you know, than, than the acquisition, the thing, if you will? Yeah, and that's what, when I was younger, I thought it was things because I thought things were more permanent. Like, I'd have the car. I always have it. I could go on that trip, but I'll forget about it. But now I, I notice when I sit around with my friends, we talk about experiences. That's all we talk about. Remember that time we did this? Remember that time? It's all about experience. It is so much more. It's exactly like that. I had dinner with a few guys again last night, and that's what we're talking. What are we talking about? When are we going to take a trip together? Yeah. Where, where, we, where are we going to go? Yeah. And and I yeah, you forgot to mention. There's a drawer full of, of things. Yeah. Things that they've spent a lot of actual money on. Right. Okay? I don't think about it. Yeah. I don't wear them. Don't yeah. don't think about them as much in there. But where can we go? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and now for me clearing my mind, also to be free when we when we go when we do take the experiences, yeah, you know, not, not be stuck yeah. on on the phone or the checking yeah. of the emails, which is a whole other thing of how do you set your life up so that you can be free enough mentally, spiritually, physically to enjoy the experiences that you're now. I mean that's the that's the get. new that's the new modern day challenge is these phones. I, I I'm having a very hard time. That's my new battle is trying to put the phone down. I, mean, I was sitting at dinner the other night. Both kids and my wife and I were all on our phones. It's, that's that's missing an experience. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there's no experience that Instagram could ever give me that uh, you know my kids would give me. So um, that's the big new challenge in life is getting rid of that. But at the same time, yeah, abs absolutely. And back into perspective, but yeah. but you're pretty good on social media. Okay, like yeah. you're pretty. 
Well, I mean, you know the thing about social media? It's so funny. So I, I wanted to write the book, Proteinaholic, because after I had this, you know, epithesis, this just, just, just like this epiphany about, oh, my God, we're eating wrong. Doctors are telling their patients to eat the wrong thing. This focus doesn't need, because every patient was coming in, I need protein, I need protein. So that was, I want to write this book, and I'm talking to publishers, and they're like, well, what's your social media following? Well, I don't really have social media. Like, well, you got to have social media following for us to get you. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And they're like, how many people do I need? Well, you need about 15,000, 20,000 followers, and we'll start talking. And so I was like, what am I going to talk about? And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to mm -hmm. put whatever I put on there, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's philosophy, and whether it's, you know. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it, it sparks people uh, defaming me and getting angry at me. But I was like, look, I'm just going to speak my experience. That's what social media is, is speak your experience. And it, the following kept growing and growing and growing. And I've always kind of kept it the same. I just speak whatever comes to mind. And uh, uh, that's kind of how I got the book deal is because they were like, okay, you got 90,000 followers, oh, we'll do a book. Well, that makes it, look, it makes it genuine. That's the other thing. Yeah. Genuine and authentic means in a way you have to put a lot less thought into it yeah. because it's, it's actually you. You're just putting out yeah. what you really are and yeah. what you're really about. It's funny. People always say to me, are you doing your posts or someone doing them for you? And that's such a weird concept to me. It's like someone doing my posts for me mm -hmm. on social No one's doing my posts for me on social media. But I do think you can, you can tell. I follow some things that are clear. I can. You can tell the, someone's the, putting it well, out. Well, either somebody's putting it out or it's just, it is too manufactured. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does not look. You can't take that many perfect pictures in a way. Right. You know, like you right, can't right, right, be yeah. in that many places at the same time. Right, right, okay, right, right. it's not realistic that you're walking around right. in this environment dressed like that. Like, like right. it's not happening. Yeah. You know, over, overall, yeah. eating at the perfect time from the perfect yeah. pouch from the perfect thing, yeah. and it tends to lose some of its some yeah. of its authenticity. And there's, yeah. I think, there's greater. Well, there's greater connection in, in like of imperfection, you know, or again, vulnerability yeah. and personality. Yeah, I did some videos on social media. People were complaining that I didn't have it widescreen. I didn't have it. And I, I said, listen, people, I'm not doing this for like that kind of production. I took a picture of my food the other day because it was a good meal. Someone says, that looks like vomit. And I was like, I looked at it, I was like, yeah, the picture's not that great. But uh, but I'm not going to go in there and get a special camera to put in a picture right, like of the, But the so content like, is good. The point is trying, you're the missing the, the point. Right. Yeah. The, point is, the point is the content. Yeah. I'm not going to edit this, you know, right. and make every Everything a perfect, perfect situation. Right. Couple more, couple of things I want to ask. What do you read? Mm -hmm. What do you like to read? Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, um, I, I like to read a lot. So, but it 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 varies. So I've got kind of three genres. One is fiction, and um, the 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 sad thing is, and this is in no way um, negative to women in any way, shape, or form, but. The fiction is very male-oriented, so um, uh, like um, I just picked up Henry Miller's book that I'm going to read right now, and they, it's very from a man's perspective because you kind of want to see people in your same situation, what they're thinking. Uh, my favorite author is uh, Arthur Phillips. I just read a great book of his called The Song Is You, and it's really from a male's perspective at midlife, so it's kind of fiction, but what I'm going through mm -hmm. type fiction. Um, I read a lot about, uh, obviously, a lot of nutrition stuff, but uh, I'm getting a little tapped out on that. Like, I, I kind of feel like I've reached the wall on nutrition. I pretty much know the literature. I still follow the journals, but I know the pros and cons of all the different diets, so I'm kind of there. Um, I read now a lot on meditation and Buddhist philosophy, which might sound weird, um, and I'm not one of these. I'm not going to go and you know, incense or tell you where your chakras are off or anything like that. Um, but I think there's a lot, it, there, it's very interesting. There was a book that I just finished called Altered Traits, which was fascinating to me. Because Altered Traits was written by the two premier meditation experts in the world, scientists, PhD scientists from Harvard and MIT. And they, they approached meditation from a doctor's standpoint, what physical changes happen in the brain and how, not from this like, oh, you're having this existential experience. Not to discredit the, I want the existential experience, but I want to know I'm really having an existential, and there's some kind of thing going on that's making that. So um, I've been um, kind of studying those things, like um, gotten into Alan Watts lately, who was a, a Zen Buddhist monk who's just got, he's got little aphorisms. You could follow 
the Alan Watts, he, he's no longer living, but you can follow his Instagram and you get, get these little quotes once a day. Like sometimes, and it's so funny. Somebody's posting for someone's him. Someone's posting for him, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, unless he's really mastered this meditation uh, thing. But you know, it's funny because we're all different. We all have our own likes. My, mm -hmm. my wife is not interested in the things I'm interested in, even slightly. And so she's one day she's going, she goes, I hate all these little um, things you see on Instagram, these little, um, oh, just do it type things. I mean, I love them. You know, I read those quotes. I like, I'll read a good quote and it'll like stick with me. I'll be like, oh, that's a good quote. Oh, mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, and so um, Alan Watts has been uh, one. He's got a book called The Book, which has some very interesting philosophy in it. Um, and the funny thing is I can't read one book at a time. Uh, you know, I don't, do I feel like reading fiction right now or do I feel like reading about meditation science? It, you know, kind of goes yep. back and forth. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that the more Instagram and social media I've done, the worse my attention span has gotten. And it's gotten a lot harder to read lately. Uh, you know, I'm reading like, oh, I forgot to answer that email or I forgot to put that post on social media or that person was, con or I wonder if anybody commented on my last thing. Yeah, that's, that's I see that too. And I think it, it's, it's about being present you know i'm yeah. studying and trying to learn a lot more about being being present right know? and one of the again, one of the reasons i enjoy and push myself to even do stuff like this is you got to listen put something out there and listen if you want to steer right. this conversation you got to be present right. okay or you're going to miss you're going to miss something or you're miss not so going to really take take it all in yeah for, for for my wife not being into what i'm into she's so present like sometimes she'll say, yeah, I remember that, uh, that you know, whatever flower we passed by. What, we passed by a flower? Yeah, it was, there's was flowers right over there. You know, I'm not present at all. I'm sitting there mulling yeah, over Because like, yeah. we don't look up sometimes. Don't you know? look up. Boom, we're somewhere, but we're yeah. really, we're really not, not in our mind. Yeah. Not, and, not there. And that's been my big thing with meditation lately is really trying to develop meditation, to try to develop that attention. I think we all have attention deficit disorder now. Uh, to try to bring that back, that mindfulness. Sure. I mean, we're talking for, for an hour as we get towards wrapping this up, and you think, okay, I could read a tweet in a second. You know, I can type everything is, is shorter, shorter, shorter. You right. know, I can watch a little video clip or a little audio clip in three minutes or this, that, what, whatever it may be, being able to kind of be present or go long, you right. know, or go longer in a way is, is exactly. getting a little tougher. Yeah, there's one doctor I respect a lot, Dr. Michael Greger. Um, he has this site called nutritionfacts.org. And uh, he goes, the research, you know, very plant-based, but, I mean, he go, this guy goes into research. Every video he does is three minutes, max five. Mm -hmm. And I asked him about that once, because then he'll do a series of videos if he wants to yep. make a big statement. And I said to him, you know, how do you do He said, I'm telling you, people don't watch past three minutes. They will watch for three minutes, and they will not watch any longer, and you will lose everybody. Because I was posting, you know, these long posts yep. and long video posts and things like that. So no one's going to watch that. Mm -hmm. They're going to get tired. And I, and I thought about it. I was like, man, I turn people off after three, four minutes usually. You know, it's like. You I'm not sure them. it's a great trend. You yeah. know, oh, that, it's that, not a good trend. Right. That, that we figured that out or that people are being conditioned to watch, let's say, shorter and yeah. shorter and we're not. It's not working good. towards holding their attention spans potentially a little bit longer or anything yeah. else. But everything has to be. You know, look, six-minute abs, you know, 60-second yeah. screenwriting, crazy, you know, right? three-minute, you know, Instagram mobility tips. Like, right. We can only talk about one body part because right. we've, we've only got a minute and 20 right. seconds, you know, something like that. Yeah. So if you come back tomorrow, come back another day and do yeah. this. But that's why I like these podcasts. Like, I like discussions like this now because no one has these discussions anymore. Well, I listen to, How I listen to Howard all the time. Start, I listen and to Howard and, and, and I love, one of the things I love about it most, and he even talks about it, is... I can do what I want. I can yeah. talk. Don't go on a talk show and have it be pre-scripted and be out there for one segment. We, let's just talk. Let's see where this thing goes. And he has some great interviews, and they just go on and on. And they start when they start, and they end when they, when right. it feels like a natural yeah. stopping point to yeah. to end that stuff. Yeah, um, I like like Rich Roll's podcast. Like very like. It's two people having a conversation, and you're listening in and feel like you're part of the conversation. And it's back and forth, so you hear from Rich and you hear from the, the yeah, person. And I don't yeah. begrudge some of the shorter stuff, too. I mean, there's some great stuff. You know, there's some daily entrepreneur stuff or entrepreneurs on fire and, you know, little things that, as you said, like lead, like reading that, you know, that motivational quote mm -hmm. or something kind of gets you pumped in the mood, like for the day you want to have right, or something. Right, right, like. So right. there's some instant gratification. Some of that yeah. short stuff is, is, yeah. really, is really good, too. Yeah. But I like getting into the... You know, some of the longer stuff and listening to something this morning, make yeah. a little note, like, hey, go back to the 45th minute of, you know, that conversation right. because that piece was actually good. And then go use it when you go right to this next guy, you know, right, right. go cool. over there. Yeah. But um, the next one, I was just going to ask you, 
what do you listen to? So we know what you read. What What do you listen to? Is it Is it music, podcast, a little bit? Of I do both. I mean, I listen. So when I'm operating, I have to have country music on. That's a must. <laughs> so I don't know what it is, but country music when I'm operating, and so I'm listening to country music all day long. Uh, you know, listen to older rock. Uh, 90s when I'm working out. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so love Sam Harris, um, the Sam Harris podcast. But that, you know, it's some. Uh, I like Rhonda Patrick's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, very scientific. I think it might be boring for a lot of people, but um, she goes a lot into nutrition, and she's very into how do you basically hack yourself to be the longest living, healthiest human being you could possibly be. We disagree. Now, there, there's a person I disagree with on many different things, but respect her opinion. I'd like to hear her. Her stuff. In fact, I found this five-day fast through her podcast um, and Howard Stern. So it all depends on the mood, right? Abs- absolutely. Biggest fear? Hmm. Biggest fear. God, I mean, you know, if fear has changed for me from what it was to... I, I think fear used to be not being, not succeeding, not being good at what I'm doing, um... Uh, for a while, I felt like I'm telling people all this stuff. I know I've studied it, but am I a fraud? And I, what if what, my biggest fear when I wrote my book was that someone was going to come out with like this body of evidence showing that I was completely wrong? Like, you know, I like I do to other books. I mm-hmm. do just that. Like I, that that book, um, Wheat Belly, is such a bunch of crap. I cannot possibly tell you how dumb that book is and how bad the research is in, in it. But I'm scared someone's going to do that to me. And someone did actually challenge me quite well. A uh, 28-year-old school teacher um, who's very big in the paleo movement. Uh, what's her name? Mindy. Uh, anyway, I can't remember her name. Uh, and she wrote a very good critique of my work. Now, she made the mistake of making it 90 pages long uh, on her blog. And no one's going to read that. <laughs> and then I did a response to hers addressing her on this 90 page. But, you know... Um, I guess my biggest fear would be to give someone advice that's wrong because advice changes all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. what I know now might be different tomorrow, and, and that kind of scares me. Next big goal. What, what's big goal? What's the big, um, my what's big, big goal, goal? Is to my big goal is Asheville used to be this place where people went for health reasons. So there were all these health spas, and people like a TB went there from the mountain air, and it was supposed to be a place for health, and that kind of went away. Uh, that's what I want to do. I want to make it the new health destination. Um, and uh, I really want to work there on this concept that I kind of started here, but I really want to do it there called pharmacy, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, where I'm working with the local farmers, a lot of farmers there, where I'm getting doctors to prescribe fruits and vegetables to their patients, and the prescription they take to the farmer, get a box of produce with instructions on how to use the produce, how to, you know, recipes. Um, so the, there's this concept of food is medicine, uh, and so that's going to be a big part of what I'm doing up in Asheville. Um, and uh, um, we're gonna, the other thing I'm really interested there is they've got a Cherokee tribe up there that's been underserved and has a lot of obesity issues and and um, uh, different Western disease issues. And one of my big interests has been in how indigenous cultures are so healthy and yet western cultures aren't Mm. and if i could take them back to how the indigenous cherokees ate which has been done before i'm not they've done this in hawaii they've done this with um the pima indians but if i could do that with the cherokee indians i I think that'd be fascinating awesome great great stuff dr garth davis thank you very much for being here today on the greg shaman podcast appreciate your time and i will see you in Asheville. Sounds good. Pleasure. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.